your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to a Tuesday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom. On the phone with me today for this hour is Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm doing well. All right, uh, you must be. Are you? Does a school superintendent get summers off? Like school ended last week. Is this like the best week of of the year for you, or are you still do you still have to do quite a bit of work all summer? Uh, we work all summer. Uh, there's lots to plan for for next year. We're already busy thinking about the start of our year-round school at uh, Northside in just uh, six weeks. Is so maybe this is like the worst time for you <laughs> because a you don't have the you, have, you, you there's nobody there's not a lot of people in school I would imagine obviously a lot of the kids are not there except for at Northside right and then uh, so you don't even get like that distraction of at least hey I could go you know see what the kids are up to or something like that um, and then and then we'll get into it in a little bit but the uh, the budget they're drafting the budget so you don't even know how much money you're going to get to fund the schools next year yet. Yeah, there are a lot of unknowns right now, and uh, all the people that make uh, education so exciting, the kids and the teachers, they're not here for those uh, awesome pop-ins to see the great things they're doing. So once uh, once we get past graduation and the, the end-of-year celebrations, it, it does, uh, you get stuck in the office a little bit more, focusing uh, on planning and preparation. Good stuff, but not the reason you get into education. When when the superintendent does a, a pop in like George Costanza comes over to Jerry unannounced uh, when you do I don't know if you do that a lot to to teachers but do they dread that because if my boss popped in ever I'm immediately nervous oh God what does he want you know <laughs> like I feel like that's what what a teacher would feel like if you popped into a classroom yeah I'll walk through the hallways and see kids there get to lunchrooms um, I try not to to make folks uncomfortable if I can help it and so. Um, you know, if the teacher invites me into their classroom to hang out with kids or talk, happy to join them. But uh, I try not to, to interrupt and, and disrupt the, the learning of our kids or make teachers uncomfortable. Well, yeah, you don't want to interrupt or disrupt, but your your very presence would make, I think, a teacher nervous. Like, oh, no, he's watching me. Yeah, uh, sometimes. <laughs> Other times, like, hey, you're just the guy I wanted to talk to. <laughs> Um, do you guys do anything at the end of the year that's, I don't, I don't, maybe this would signal, single out some people, but do you have like, Hey, this was the most popular class this year. Or this was the most popular teacher. Um, I don't know, a student vote or something like that. Uh, I haven't heard of anything like that. Um, in the years I've been in school or, or, uh, in, in lacrosse, but. Uh, our well-loved teachers are, are well-known to kids and other teachers alike. You know, they create that special atmosphere where kids feel like they belong. They're pushed to explore their interests and, and really excel. And so I think everybody knows who those folks are. Would it be kind of a cool thing to do? I mean, just take like a school student survey to find out what class was the, the most popular or what teacher uh, students like the most? Yeah, we see that every year with our requests for classes in, like, the January and February time frame at our high schools. Uh, you know, it's pretty – you can quickly see kind of, like, what's uh, what's kind of on kids' minds, what teachers they're kind of interested in, in being around. Um, I would love some sort of teacher of the year program at some point to, 
to celebrate the, all of the amazing teachers in our buildings and, and, and across the district. Yeah, it'd be, uh, it'd be like the exploring the Marvel Universe, that class. That would be the most popular one, I think. Yeah, and I think <laughs> there is a way to, to do that and still get to some really high-quality English language art standards. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, entertainment, movies, you know, they're not much different than books in terms of, like, story construction, uh, analogies, metaphors. I think there would be a great way to, to do that and create interest with a group of students that maybe get a little turned off by the old English of Shakespeare. You just got to make sure it's not certain Disney movies, otherwise you'll get in, you'll get in trouble. <laughs> Actually, you you be the one uh, uh, firing teachers for stuff like that. I, I don't know if you heard that story, the... Uh, there's one about a movie. I think that one's out of Florida, but there's another one about that that song with Dolly Parton and Miley Cyrus, where the teacher got fired for wanting to play that song or, or have kids sing that song, Rainbow Land. Yeah, every community's got different uh, norms and standards. I don't feel comfortable weighing in on how another school district promoted their own standards. I know uh, here in La Crosse, you know, we want to. Uh, accept all kids uh, as they are and create a safe environment where everybody belongs, regardless of the identities they hold. So, 608-785-7914 is the talk in text line. Actually, it's the text line. I'm going I'm to, it's hard to, to do phone calls while Engel's on the phone with me, but if you want to try, you can try and I might be able to get to you. Engel's going to join us for the hour. We're going to talk about truancy rates, kind of uh, alarming numbers there. Uh, the budget, we mentioned that a little bit, how how the budget process works within the state legislature and what schools have to go through uh, at this time period because it, it seems pretty just, I, I don't know, it doesn't seem very thought out in my opinion. Artificial, artificial intelligence, I got that on my agenda. And and then just some some teacher things, whether it's a teacher shortage or teacher burnout or just uh, workforce in general, there's some... Well, workforce is a little bit different than the teachers' things, but those are a couple of things that are on the agenda. Shoot me a text if you got questions for Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel. Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four is the text line. Dr. Aaron Engel, Lacrosse School Superintendent, is going to join us this hour. He is joining us this hour. He's on the phone right now. Uh, we were just talking about all the different things that one can and should learn when they're very young in school, like band, and and then we just broke down every instrument. Engel, Engel told me, he's told me this before, he's played the violin. What, since you were three? Did you say three or third grade? Yeah, since I was three, my mom wanted me to play violin, so got me involved early and uh, took lessons all through high school and uh, continued to play a little bit here and there today. What's a three-year-old's like ability to communicate like versus... Like, can they talk? I, I just don't, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't have three-year-olds in my household. Certainly able to talk. I know it was not easy on my parents trying to teach me. And, in fact, my violin teacher didn't trust me with a real instrument, and I got a margarine <laughs> box with a ruler tape to it. So, <laughs> How long before you could play? Because that's, that's like pain on your parents, too, to have to listen to whatever you're pulling out, push, pushing out at three years old. What's your mom thinking? Yeah, they're... Uh, they probably deserve sainthood for listening to a four-year-old play a violin. But uh, it wasn't long before I could squeak out Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, I, it, actually, it shouldn't be crazy. That should be like the standard for all households. They like pick an instrument and pick a language and have to learn. Uh, because an instrument is kind of another language. And then also learn another language. Let's just throw all the stuff 
at our at our kids. Um, can, can we just talk about this real quick? Because I don't think it'll take very long. Hamilton is is a year round school. Northside Elementary is a year round school. We're going to end. Is that did that start, or are we going through summer where Hamilton won't be a year round school anymore? Yeah, Hamilton is wrapping up its year-round school. It did so uh, this last Friday. Okay. So it'll move to a traditional calendar for next year. Northside will continue to be on a year-round model. Okay, so from what I understand, a, a lot of kids or a lot of parents pulled their kids out of Hamilton because of the calendar, and then the, the stats weren't there to show that year-round school was making – was kids weren't learning at an accelerated rate there. Um. Is that not the case for Northside then? And maybe I have that wrong. If if that's not right, then correct me. But um, are are the numbers different because of at Northside? Um. So the 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 rationale for closing at at Hamilton was that um, you know we had sixty eight percent of students opting out of Hamilton who live in that neighborhood, so it wasn't serving its community any longer, sure. uh, or at least to the level that we wanted. And um, enrollment had declined there at kind of greater than the district rate. And so we're just seeing fewer kids choose that program for whatever reason. Uh, and it didn't have the academic benefits we had had hoped it would over time. We're continuing the program at Northside in part because it's really in its infancy. Uh, it, it, it started in 2020, and then we had the pandemic, so they went home early, and then we went to a traditional calendar that next year just so that we could get through the pandemic, then back on to, to year-round this last year. So they haven't had as much experience in, in time, and so we don't really know what the, the impacts will be there. And uh, enrollment has stayed stable there so far. Um, we've seen declining enrollment across the school district, but the opt-out rate there has been less than it had been in the Hamilton neighborhood after after nine years. Yeah, I was just going to say, if the, the enrollment is fine, then you'll just continue it, right? Is that the main – if the enrollment is good, then we don't have to worry about it. Like, unless the test scores would be ridiculously low, right? Yeah, we're going to continue to evaluate if it's a model that um, that our parents want and it is, is leading to uh, increased academic outcomes. You know, there's a lot of um, uh, logistics and uh, challenges that come with, uh, you know, different choices and options. And we want to make sure that they're serving our families and our kids well. And as long as they are, we'll continue to try and find a way to offer all those things. Where we see that they're not meeting our expectations, then we've got to make change for the benefit of our kids, our families, and our teachers. When you say parents are opting out at Hamilton, is, is it because of the calendar? Because I would, I don't, I can't think of Hamilton off the top of my head. I think I saw a picture of it. If I look at Northside and I look at Hamilton School, I'll be like, mm, I kind of want to go to Northside because it's just, I think the building is newer, right? Uh, there, so Northside's, you know, brand newish is 2014, but Hamilton just had a really nice addition put onto it. And the, the families and students that attend that school love it. They okay. love their teachers. They, they love the model. Uh, they really enjoy uh, what's going on at Hamilton. So that's certainly not a detractor. Uh, the building, the staff, the culture, I would say what has changed over time is uh, when a family moves into that area, and it's got higher transi- transiency in that area, families move in and out a little bit more. Let's say that they move in in August 15th, and they want to start their kid in school. Well, school's already been on for four weeks in that year-round model, mm-hmm. and so uh, they choose to go to a traditional calendar because they don't want their kid to miss 
four weeks of school, totally natural. And so they end up going to, to Spence for the year or State Road or, or Emerson. And then they make friends there and they like their teachers and they just want to continue on. And so they don't end up going back to, to Hamilton. Additionally, um, you might have a, a third and a fifth grader who start off in the, in the year-round model. And then your fifth grader goes to middle school. Well, we don't have a year-round middle school. Those are all traditional. Uh, and so now you've got a fourth grader in, in elementary school on a year-round and a sixth grader in a traditional middle school. You might need them to be on the same schedule just for life reasons. Right, and yeah. so you might, you, you might move your fourth grader then to a, a traditional school or your newly enrolling you know, 4K or you might put in a traditional school as well. So that, that I think has just built up over time and it has led to this higher opt-out rate. People are choosing, you know, Hamilton from kind of surrounding neighborhoods, you know, at a high rate uh, continually, but it's just not enough enrollment to really uh, justify continuing on that path. Why don't we do middle school year-round or then maybe maybe one of the high schools year-round, just make the whole thing, you know, like throughout? Yeah, we uh, explored that, you know, tentatively from time to time over the years, uh, mostly before uh, uh, I, I was hired here in La Crosse. Uh, and it just never worked out for a whole variety of reasons. You know, you need uh, a teaching staff that's interested in teaching in that model. You've got uh, to have the logistics ready for that. You know, athletics and extracurriculars become more important for students in middle school. And so trying to figure out what that means for practices and busing and, and all those sorts of things, it, it just hasn't come to fruition, even though folks have explored it. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Dr. Aaron Engels joining me here for this hour. Um, all right. So year rounds. Yeah, I think it would be be interesting if we had your round all from, you know, K through 12, I suppose it would be more conducive. There's there's also that calendar thing. Is that the big reason? Like, oh, I just I just can't find daycare for that two weeks that the kids off in the middle of the year when when that's just not tradition. Right. Yep, I think that that's part of it. People are just used to kind of a, a traditional calendar. For families that opt into year-round, they love having those breaks at various times. You know, they can uh, opt into summer school or you know intercession school. You know, for those periods of time as well. Um, you know, what the research would show too is that um, different school doesn't necessarily lead to better ad- academic outcomes, which is what our year-round models are. They kind of just break up the days of school that we have into different places. What really makes an impact in student learning is more school. And so if I had a preference, it would be for, for more days of school for, for kids. But um, that also infringes on, you know, kind of the state reimbursement we get for, for educating our kids. It uh, starts to get into, you know, paying teachers for those additional days that they work and uh, affecting, you know, parents' sense of what school is supposed to be like. Yeah, the the year-round calendar is. It sounds like it's more school, but the the amount of time you get off. What is it? Forty-five days on and fifteen off, something like that. That's correct. Yep. And then we've offered two weeks of intercession summer school uh, for those three breaks, and uh, it amounts to about two weeks more of uh, school if you opt into all of that than our, our traditional calendar, but not substantially yeah, uh, compared to our traditional calendar. Um, how is how is the ability for school, the lacrosse school district to retain teachers, to keep teachers, to get teachers? Or, or you know, the, the, essentially the teacher shortage. I don't know if it, when I talk to the 
education president, lacrosse education, uh, LEA, lacrosse education association president. Uh, he says it's not really a teacher shortage. It's more like retention. But like, where's the district there with keeping teachers? Uh, yeah, so statewide, we've seen kind of after uh, kind of the last 10 years, we've seen uh, enrollment and education programs rebound. And it's kind of back to where it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Unfortunately, teachers, while in college, are often choosing other professions or when they graduate, aren't choosing to go into to education. And so uh, we have the same kind of level of interest, but the the actual um delivery of that into our, our, our system has not been as great as it has been historically. When it comes to attracting teachers, um, there's just fewer folks available then as a, re- as a result, and not always for, you know, kind of more common uh, roles like a, a K-5 teacher, uh, an elementary teacher, or a, a secondary teacher in, in the middle schools. But there's some uh, really challenging um uh, positions to fill, things like a, a physics teacher or a school psychologist, things that require unique specialized training, um, OTTT or uh, some of those things. Uh, and so for those positions, we might get one candidate, we might get zero candidates. Um, but even still, the, the market is just much different than it was, you know, two, three decades ago when we would have 500 applicants for a single fifth grade position. That is no longer the case. Now it might be 30. Uh, And we still get great candidates, high quality teachers in our position. Um, But just the volume of applicants has definitely changed over time. Yeah. The, okay. So uh, did did I get this right? You'll have, you'll have a kid graduate college, not a kid. Uh, You'll have a person graduate college with an education degree and then they just don't get into teaching. Do they apply for the job and and then get through the interview and find out how much it pays and go, Oh, never mind, I'm going to get a job somewhere else. They never even get to the application process. They'll go to college, start majoring in education, then maybe switch to business or maybe they'll even graduate with an education degree but then they'll take that experience and go work in a corporate education, you know? And so there's just either more opportunities in other ways or they're uh, choosing other majors along the way. And so we're just not getting them from entry into ed schools to our schools. And we would solve that simply by offering more money, I think, right? <laughs> it just seems uh, more money always helps. Yeah. Uh, you know, the state does impose revenue limits. And so we only have so much money to work with each year. And, uh, you know, we've got to keep the lights on. We've got to pay for transportation. And so it only leaves so much, you know, for us to pay for salaries for teachers, cooks, TAs, AAs, all the essential folks that work in our building. That's Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel. He's going to hang out for the rest of the hour, but we've got to take a news break. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Dr. Aaron Engel, Lacrosse School Superintendent, is hanging out this hour. We're talking about, well, what were we just talking about? Oh, just retaining teachers. There's a, the district's doing something a little different with trying to get some special education teachers. You, 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 had, you had at one point no applicants, and now you have a whole bunch because of uh, – like we just said, if you if you pay those teachers a little bit more, you'll they will come, right? If you build it, they will come. Absolutely. Sometimes there's uh, financial incentives. Obviously, it's got to be a right fit for a teacher too, and the right right place. 
but um, if we're able to uh, attract people through compensation, it, it can work. All right, and uh, on the I got a I got a caller here, Engel. That his name is Jake. He's got a question for you, Jake. And I think it's kind of along these lines. Jake, go ahead. You're on with Dr. Aaron Engel. Yeah, like I had mentioned to Rick, I'm wondering why um, after the recent referendum that was passed and advertised that teachers were going to get a pay increase, they're no longer getting that increase. Great uh, question. Uh, part of the, the referendum that was just passed uh, would allow us to have some stability with increases in compensation for our staff, uh, assuming some you know basic state funding. Uh, and we intend to, to to actually make that to make that a reality. Uh, we uh, have a number of bargaining groups in our school district, and so we bargain uh, with our teachers, with our uh, administrative assistants, with our custodians. Uh, and as a part of that process, we'll end up settling uh, on what our final raises are for each of those groups. But um, we don't know the state budget yet. We don't know how much money schools will have. Um, we've got some, you know, preliminary projections, but uh, we won't settle with our unions until we know how much money ha- we have to, to work with. And that's out of courtesy to our unions and our, and our teachers. Uh, and so uh, raises are definitely on the horizon. Uh, we'll just settle with our unions once we know uh, what the budget looks like. Yeah, and that was another part of the conversation I kind of started the show off with I wanted to talk about the state budget is being crafted right now by Republicans in the legislature and then Governor Evers has got to use what he's going to use this veto pen to cross some stuff off and then hopefully sign it and usually that that happens in about a month but you were telling me over the break you usually have a proposal from you you had Evers proposal and you have what Republicans have chopped out of it which was about 520 things um, including a lot of stuff out of education if we want to really dive into that but um, you usually have a, repos- a proposal from the legislature by now that the school district can look at and go, okay, this is where you could start to get an idea because you have no idea how much money you're going to have for the next school year? Yeah, that, that's correct. We don't know uh, what funding for public education will look like for uh, next year, uh, starting July 1st. Um, you know, the governor put out his uh, proposed education budget, I think, in October and November of last year, in advance of the election, uh, and then you know sent a formal proposal to the the legislature. And gosh, I think it was maybe February. Yep. Uh, typically, by now, we have a, a decent idea of what the state legislature is uh, working on, uh, and so to be in early June and really not have an idea where they're headed is is a little bit unique. Uh, and given that we need to start, you know, making payroll and spending next year's money as soon as July 1st does put us in an awkward position. Do you, I mean, is the funding kind of the same every year? So you would have a little bit of idea where to, where to start from, or is this, is it an odd year? Because I don't know, because we're, we're trying to change systems and we're coming out of COVID a couple of years now. And I don't know. Yeah, it, it can vary wildly before 2008. School funding increases were tied to CPI uh, with some caps. And so we had a pretty good idea of what was coming in each biennium. Uh, in uh, 2000 and uh, what was it, uh, 10, um, or 2008, we saw a, a huge cut to, to public education funding, but that was relatively unanticipated. You know, a loss of $600 per student here in the school district of La Crosse, you know, for 
this year's numbers, that'd be $3.6 million of a reduction. I mean, you're talking, you know, 40, 50 staff positions at that point. Um, and uh, two years ago, in the middle of the pandemic, when we knew that we needed more funds to keep kids safe, to adjust to their needs, uh, to address mental health issues, we got zero dollars of increased funding for public education for two years. Uh, and the state government expected us to use the COVID relief funds from the federal government to, to make up for that, uh, which we've had to do. Yeah, the COVID relief funds also were supposed to be used for battling COVID, right, in one way or the other. And instead, you just offset it uh, with the, the state funding that didn't come in. And so you just used it as status quo instead of, like, I don't know, did you update all the HVAC systems in all your schools because of COVID? Um, we did a, we, we tried to stick to the intent of the federal government's uh, uh, wishes, and we did as, as good a job as we could, and all of our money will be spent within those parameters. But some of it was offsets as opposed to HVAC upgrades. As an example, we were able to complete the project uh, for HVAC upgrades at Central, but we ended up having to table the one at, at Logan High School. And it's a project that we, we need to do and, and would benefit our kids, but you know we had to, to balance our budget along the way, and so we weren't able to, to finish out that project. We were also able to put into place um, uh, success coaches, behavior coaches, academic coaches, inclusion coaches at uh, all of our schools. And so we definitely put our resources towards student learning, making up for the pandemic, safety, mental health. Uh, but we could have done more if the state had provided a basic level of, of funding over the last two years. I mean, that all kind of gets into the play of the controversy where, where teachers in the district wanted, uh, what, 7-ish percent raise, and uh, the district could only provide like a 2.8 percent raise, something like that? Yeah, last year CPI was 4.7%, and you know naturally our teachers wanted to get a raise that was equal to inflation. I totally understand that. Uh, we were able to settle on a, a 2% raise, um, but the state gave us a 0% increase in revenue, so no new funds for public education. Meanwhile, we're trying to do the best we can to take care of our, our teachers, attract and retain them. It's just an impossible situation. Do you think that continues this year? Because you, you talked, you told me that you have twelve million remaining in COVID funds that you have to spend by next August, so a year and two months from now. Do you think that maybe we'll just you'll have to do this all over again? We had about twelve million dollars total in uh, COVID funds. We have some funds remaining. We've got a plan to, to spend those out on the right thing. Um, I, I'm hopeful that this time around our state legislature um, uh, provides some increase in funding for public education. Uh, if not, we're at a, a really crucial position where with these federal funds falling off, uh, we'll have some significant deficits then that we have to, to grapple with. And uh, schools across the state are, are in this position and, and really tough financial uh, straight. And so uh, if the, the state legislature doesn't come through with a reasonable amount of, of school funding, you know, at a minimum, the governor's uh, proposed budget, uh, public education is going to be in a really tough spot. Oh, so so you got $12 million initially from COVID. So you've probably used quite a bit of that money already then. Yeah, we've used two-thirds to 75% of it. You know, we're on the last year of that funding. I believe it runs out next August. 
for the deadline to use it. So we have a, a plan to expend it all, you know, by that time. You know, so we're kind of in that last year of three to use this money. The the state's been sitting on a seven billion dollar budget surplus. Uh, you, you talk about updating HVAC systems and stuff like that. You weren't able to do that at Logan, um, and and we talk about using that surplus for for kind of like infrastructure needs. Like everyone, roads and bridges is kind of always the thing to go to. But oh yeah, we could do that for schools too, right? Like the you could have done that for building a new high school. But like this is a this is another way. Uh, that maybe the like couldn't we just do one time funding give it to the school district to to do whatever you need for building maintenance? Um, I don't know. Is, is this, have you gotten any inkling inkling that the state is talking about that? Uh, I, I don't have any inkling. I don't think that will happen as a part of the bill. Uh, I would say though that you know the the surplus funds. You know some of that is sustainable into the future. They anticipate increased tax revenues into the future. Some right. of those funds are one time funds that were derived because of cost savings elsewhere. Using one-time funds on maintenance and one-time projects in school districts would be a great way to use those revenues. I also know that, you know, our universities are, are looking for, for new buildings and upgrades, and some of those projects have been approved or tabled. You know, I think that the state has a lot of flexibility and could do a lot for schools, municipalities, our UW system, you name it. They have a real opportunity to do some good things for our taxpayers here in the state. All right. We're speaking with Dr. Aaron Engel, lacrosse school superintendent. I want to just change gears here and talk about something that's kind of like a little out of left field, but artificial intelligence. I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about it. I tried to use it once uh, to write like a show log and it just didn't work out. I just, maybe I don't know how to talk to it. Um, But like, is, is the school district, what's the school district doing with artificial intelligence? You know, are you using it? Are students using it? Are teachers using it? Are they using it nefariously? Are they using it as a, is it becoming a problem? Is it a solution for the district? <laughs> there's so many, yeah, there's so it, many angles. Yeah. With, with any new technology, it quickly gets incorporated into, into schools and uh, our students are, are certainly using it. Our, our teachers are using it. I know. Uh, and uh, it is, you know, both good and bad in terms of what it can do. You know, students could pretty easily write an essay based on the prompts that a, a teacher gives them using AI. Now, it won't be great, and it probably requires a fair amount of editing if you want it to, to say what you want it to say, but that is certainly a, a viable path. And it means that our, our teachers are going to have to think about, you know, assignments and how we approach our work a little bit differently. Um, you know, some of the things that we've done historically might not be, uh, uh, might not work in, in the near future. But that said, you know, when writing an essay, you know, if, if the, the AI can give you a good boilerplate, and we can spend our time thinking about uh, metaphors and analogies and, and editing and, and creating uh, high quality uh, uh, titles and, and closing statements. You know, that maybe it's a way to lower the bar for students that might struggle with writing and really get them onto the more creative and, and, and fun work of editing and refinement. Um, and then from our, our teacher's perspective, I, I saw a teacher who threw in a prompt into an AI to write their lesson plan for them. And within 20 to 30 minutes, with a, a few prompts and, and some editing, they have a really high-quality lesson plan for uh, a week's worth of, of material in math. Uh, and so it can be uh, really uh, powerful for 
reducing the amount of work that folks have uh, and still creating a high quality uh, uh, product. Yeah, the, the, I think people automatically go to AI and think kids are going to use it to cheat. Um, well, you just said teachers are using it to cheat. <laughs> They're having AI write their <laughs> lessons plans. <laughs> Yeah, I've also heard of, of students who, you know, they're doing their, their homework. They've got, they're, they're trying out to, to graph an inequality or to, to work on uh, some, you know, triangle math, and they're not able to, to figure out the, the solution. And they'll put the question into AI, and it will show them the steps they need to follow in order to solve the problem. And so it, it's kind of an at-home tutor that can quickly help you solve a problem. And if the, the, the point of the homework assignment is just to get the right answer, sure, that's cheating. But if you've got to show your work along the way in front of a teacher at school, then you've got a tutor that helps you with your homework at night. And then the next day, you're more prepared to show in class that you can do this on your own. Oh, so it's parents that are cheating then. They don't have to parent anymore. Just let the AI, yeah, go talk to AI. I'm watching TV, kid. <laughs> what what parent has ever been successful in teaching their kid trig at home is the rare parent who can do any of that so you know if there's these uh free tutors available for parents you know then maybe it will uh you know kind of increase access uh for students to this kind of high quality tutoring and uh, increase learning for all yeah i feel like maybe there there might be cl- right you might have classes at some point teaching how to use AI, and then parents probably could take those classes as well. It'd probably help them. Absolutely. And then if you've got some of these complicated problems, you you need to, to develop uh, an email to send to, to somebody, and you need some assistance with that because you're not great at it. Maybe this AI tool could help you put together professional correspondence, help you write your resume, write a, a cover letter for you to help you get a job. Uh, you know, as long as you do the editing and own it and make sure it makes sense, like it could really increase access for folks that have historically not, you know, had as much opportunity. Yeah, we could have AI write cover letters or we could just get rid of cover letters. Like, come on, let's like as a society, no more cover letters. <laughs> <laughs> Lower the bar to employment. Right. Um, all right. So uh, you, we were talking about COVID funding a little bit, but I just want to go back to uh, that. And then we're going to get serious again here. Um, not that we weren't being serious, but it was a little more fun. Um, COVID coming out of COVID, obviously the kids were home learning, homeschooling, if you want to call it that for, for a year, I think uh, for a full year. And coming out of that, I, I guess, can you, can you talk about the transition there? And I, I just, I, this is all coming to a head at truancy because uh, I, I, you gave me some numbers about truancy that, that are kind of alarming, but um, is that would that be the the amount of truancy in school? Would that be because of a year of home learning and and the transition coming back? I don't I don't quite understand. Yeah, so we've seen a, a dramatic increase in in truancy and chronic absenteeism. Uh, you know, three years ago, uh, I think we were at about eleven uh, percent. It doubled during the the first full year of the pandemic to twenty two percent. And this year, I think we're up over 40% uh, in our school district for chronic absenteeism, which means missing more than 10% of the days of school for any reason. Now, some of that makes sense, right? We were sending kids home for 10 days at a stretch early on for uh, COVID, you know, if you tested positive for uh, COVID. So it's no wonder that kids were, were missing more school. We don't have those same restrictions today. So what's going on that we continue to see this rise in, in, a, in, in 
and truancy. And I think it's just habits are different. Uh, people approach school a little bit differently. You know, expectations have changed a little bit. And we've got to get back on the, the right path because uh, it, that much loss of school starts to impact life outcomes, the ability to read, the likelihood of graduation, uh, you know, contact with the criminal justice system. And we've had, I think, over 400 kids this year miss over 50% of school. And that is terrifying when I start to think about, like, what does that mean for the future of our community, of our society, uh, for kids to have missed that much school? And believe me, our teachers and our counselors and our principals, uh, they are working incredibly hard to get these kids to school. Home visits, phone calls, nudge letters, wraparound services, anything you can imagine we're trying to do to get parents uh, to get their kids back to school. Uh, but it's been a, a real challenge over the last three years, and we really need to make a concerted effort to get this trajectory to change. Does, does that change? Like the like in the workforce, we, we've learned that we can work from home a little bit, and why would I go back to the office? I'm doing all this stuff the same at home. So is it is it the same maybe thought process there? Like, hey, why do I got to go to school? I can do all this stuff from home, so just let me do it here. Yeah, that uh, could very well be an element of it. And we made our kids stay at home for almost a year, too. You know, so they got used to that environment and, you know, felt like they could be successful in some cases. And we and we do have a, a, a virtual academy a school that kids can attend. And we've got 112 kids that attend that school. You know, so that we do have that option. You know, and now that you bring it up, you know, maybe parents are working from home more. And so they feel comfortable you know, with their kid at home, uh, you know, whereas before they might have been unsupervised and, and felt nervous. Well, now maybe they're a little home a little more frequently, and so they don't, they're not as nervous about, you know, leaving their kid at home all day. But at the end of the day, if you don't show up to school, you can't learn the stuff that's presented. Uh, you will fall behind. It will be a challenge, and it will impact life outcomes. So we just really uh, continuing to, to try new solutions, try new strategies, uh, things that we've never considered before in order to, to get kids to school. Is the virtual capa- uh, academy at capacity usually? Um, we can scale that to the number of kids that we have. Um, you know, we run a high-quality virtual academy. Uh, you know, we intend for every kid to be successful each year with each class and graduate on time. Um, you know, our elementary version of the program they meet synchronously you know at the same time with each other in a virtual platform and we also have opportunities on Fridays for kids to to come and socialize and and be a part of clubs and groups Uh, and at the high school level it's just an incredible range of classes that kids can take to to learn at their own pace so we provide a a really high quality uh, virtual option for kids we graduated 15 kids out of there this year. Uh, it was more than our in-person polytechnic school. And so uh, I think it's a real viable option for, for kids. And if they can be successful that way, happy to have them. But if not, got to show up in person to school so that we can educate you. Yeah, I was kind of thinking like when when I was learning about, oh, the homeschool thing. And I had some college professors say, because in college a little bit different because the classes are huge. I was like, yeah, I was kind of, you know, in college I never wanted to speak out or or speak up or answer a question because there's there's a hundred other people in there. And if you, you, you feel like all eyes are on you. Uh, so I was like, ah, homeschooling or, or doing this stuff over virtual would be awesome because I can't feel the eyes on me. 
and maybe some of the kids in, in elementary or, or grade or middle school or high school felt the same way. And that's why they're not going to school because they got used to that year off. But, uh, you know, then they have to there has to be a transition there. Then, hey, if you're just not going to go to school, then you need to get into something like the virtual academy or something like that. Then, Yeah, we've definitely seen a rise in anxiety, uh, mental health challenges with kids, uh, less comfortable comfortability in, in social situations. And so we need to provide those supports for those students where we can. Uh, but we need good partnerships with our parents, you know, with, the, with law enforcement, with the county, you know, to help uh, create those wraparound supports for parents to, to get their kid to school every day. All right. That's Lacrosse School the Superintendent, Dr. Aaron Engel. Thanks, man, for joining me this hour. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. All right. And that's going to do it for Lacrosse Talk PM. Thanks, everybody, for listening.